So welcome, Danny Ryan, to the Real Magic Podcast. Thank you for being on. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I was really excited to talk to you and I've wanted to have you on for a while, but I wanted to wait until it was like close to Beltane and summer to talk about the movie we're talking about, which is Midsommar. Yes. But before we get into that, um, I want, I always like to ask my guests, like when you were a kid, what was the movie that like made you believe in magic? That was sort of your gateway drug to becoming sort of a witchy pagan person. Because I know a lot of us discovered magic through pop culture. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, like, I know the big ones were more books. I was really into a lot of books about witchy stuff, um, Mists of Avalon, things like that. But the first thing was, I mean, honestly, probably just like sort of the goth girls, like Lydia Dietz and um, Wednesday Adams. Like that sort of was my my first inkling. Aesthetic. You know, the aesthetic. Um, And then I saw The Craft when I was like 14 and that was it. (laughs) that was the movie that like just made us so many of us I was just watching The Descendants with my daughter it's just like a Disney channel original movie Mm -hmm. or there's a bunch of them and like if I had been you know her age or older I would like I would want to be Mal and Evie because they've got like they've also got the look with the purple and blue hair I'm like oh this whole new generation of girls like these characters are going to be there Lydia's and Wednesday Adams. Well, that's like the, I love that there's the Monster High. Uh, oh, yeah. When those came out and I was like, oh, my goodness, if these had existed when I was a kid, I would have wanted every single one of them. I would have lost my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And for like kids, kids these days, like there's no like, <laughs> they don't have to wait for stuff, you know, on Saturday mornings. Like mm-hmm. a lot of my kids' favorite cartoons came out like seven years ago because she watches them on like Disney Plus or YouTube or something. So there's no like limit to what they can discover, which is great. Yeah, it's awesome. They have all of the content in the world at their fingertips and they can find what speaks to them. And that's something that we didn't have quite the luxury of. Like we really had to, you know, I had to get up extra early to catch Sailor Moon, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Or like, you know, trying to get your vcrs remember vcrs get your vcr oh, yeah. like <laughs> get I your vcr to record to, it i learned how to program a vcr so i could record like reruns of buffy on fx yep. when it started airing reruns oh all oh, these kids today they'll never know what we went through they have no idea um but today we're talking about midsommar which is a bit more of an adult movie let's say a little bit yeah and i wanted you to come on because i know you are a big fan of horror and I am a giant wimp when it comes to horror. <laughs> Most horror movies are either like too horrifying for me. I just don't like getting scared. <laughs> yeah. But horror really isn't about often being scared. It's about being uncomfortable. Like Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's like people are like, well, this isn't a horror movie because, and I'm like, anything that pushes you outside of your boundaries and makes you uncomfortable is a horror movie. Whether that's something that's like straight up jump scares, just like, ah, you know, that's, that's scary in one way, but then there's stuff that's just dread, like that uncomfortable icky dread there's existential horror which is like the stuff that makes you you know lay up at night going oh god <laughs> so you mean the last five um, years of living in america yeah that's, oh my god we pretty, are living we, we are, are definitely ex- living a horror movie <laughs> oh we're living in an a24 movie for sure <laughs> yes so would you say like we're in like kind of a new golden age of horror like that's the impression i get even as somebody who's not absolutely 
in horror. It's like there's so much interesting stuff being done in horror just in general. Absolutely. I think it started a couple of years ago. And I think that um, there's a lot more folks who are making horror that we've always had a really good collection of marginalized voices making horror, but I feel like they're finally getting the budgets and getting the eyes on their work that they need. And so we're getting new viewpoints and people are really trying more difficult things. Um, Midsummer is a great example of, you know, just really trying something different with horror. It's a daytime horror, you know, it's not nighttime. It's not scary like that. Um, And it's just, it's completely different. It is so different. And just here, I think that like, you know, we talked about horror makes you uncomfortable and that's why horror is able to do like, the last movie we did on here was Rosemary's Baby, which is, you know, a horror film, but it's also not terribly scary. It's tense, but it's got a lot of social commentary in it. And the problems with our society are those things that make you uncomfortable and that are inherently horrifying. Like you look at, you know, we talk about how we're in this horror renaissance, like Get Out was such a pivotal movie because it wasn't just scary. The scary things were stuff that's accessible to everyone. Exactly. The best horror is a reflection of our own experiences. And I feel like that's that you can look at the horror movements throughout the decades and you can really see that. Um, You know, you look at like Romero and uh, the original Night of the Living Dead is very much, you know, the civil rights movement and um, fear of, of, you know, McCarthyism and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then you move into you know, Dawn of the Dead is commercialism. Like there's lots of that. And there's Toby Hooper's stuff has lots of social commentary. Um, And as the decades have moved on, there's been different kinds of responses to that. And I think like in the eighties, horror was kind of just a fun escape. There isn't as much social commentary there because there wasn't, I don't know, I guess people, they were letting the punks do all the fighting back. And it was, (laughs) horror in the eighties was very subversive. Very horror has always also been very funny like oh, the, the humor in so many horror movies always surprises me oh absolutely well, horror and comedy are just two sides of the same coin yeah I mean you know to make someone laugh and to make someone scream is you have to operate on the same sort of wavelength mm-hmm. you have to understand people well enough to make them have those emotions yeah um you and I think e- that's why so many yeah like you look at evil dead or something and Oh, yeah. Is that a, a comedy or a horror movie? Like Evil Dead Two, especially like they're so. The, oh, Evil Dead Two is both. Yeah, exactly. Both. I love horror comedy. That's my favorite kind of horror movie. <laughs> oh, I same. I love yeah. horror comedies. Just anything that combines those two. And I and I would argue like Midsummer is not a horror comedy, but it has enough comedy mixed in that it's unlike um, Ari Aster's first film, Hereditary, which is just pure dread from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Midsummer thankfully has little bits of comedy here and there that you're just like, oh my God, pressure valve. Yeah. <laughs> like I have, I will confess that I'm one of those people that reads the Wikipedia summary rather than see a lot of horror movies. And like, I've read the Wikipedia for Hereditary. I'm like, that's when I probably don't need to see I'm it's like, tough. the death of children is a big part of that movie. Oh, and like, it's, and I it's have brutal. a five-year-old, like I said, and I can't, I, that's my like line, you know, for my, for listeners, if you are, have a tr- trouble with those things, I recommend the website does the dog die.com. Yep. Because <laughs> you that can check website like, rules. I have like, I have started watching bird box or something, which I really liked. And like, I paused about five minutes and I'm like, if these kids are going to die, I need to find out so I can stop this movie right now. <laughs> And they're like, the, yep. the bird survived. The bird doesn't do so well. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm fine. Like, kid yeah. stuff doesn't bother me as much. But, like, yeah, I have my own things that I always check. Yeah. Does the dog die? I'm like, wait, I'm going to check and make sure just beforehand because I don't want to get through this whole movie and then have my day ruined. Yeah. And, like, I for me, like, Midsommar, like, when I watched it, like, it was it wasn't upsetting, but it did definitely stay with me for, like, days mm-hmm. afterwards. And I think that's a sign of that it did its job and it was a very good well-made movie oh absolutely that's one that kind of haunts you um yeah and and I will say that my experiences seeing it in the theater versus at home were pretty different too I will say that this is one movie where I'm like if you ever get a chance to see it in a theater it's worth it because it is so claustrophobic you feel trapped even though like the movies and these big open spaces and everything it really brings up the anxiety and the fact that you know you can't look down at your phone or you can't get comfortable or whatever you're in a chair and that first shot going down the hallway when her sister passes so scary yeah in the theater I was like oh my god oh my god I don't know if I can do this oh my god and at home I'm like okay this is cool this is a great shot but it's a totally different experience um and when I, I wish they would, I want them to bring this back to theaters. Maybe in 20 years, we'll get like a, an anniversary version and I can yeah. see it again. My wife does not like horror at all. And so anytime I want to like see a horror movie that everyone's talking about, I have to watch it like alone at night when she's either like asleep or away. And so I'm a, I'm a home alone in the dark watching these movies. I'm like, this is not optimal. Oh, yeah, my scarier. My husband's really picky about horror movies. Like he tends to lean towards like slashers and things like that. He mm-hmm. likes the more fun horror. And I'm like, I want something where I feel like I have to take a bath afterwards. Um, and so, yeah, I watch a lot of that kind of stuff on my own too. And he usually like walks by and just shakes his head. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because my favorite show in the world is Supernatural, which is kind of, it's got a lot of horror influences, but it's very different because yeah. oh, it's a CW horror show. So like, it's bearable, but there's definitely some scares in, in there too. It's, it's horror adventure. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 its own genre of that show. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah, but so for people who haven't seen Midsommar, let's talk about like just the general plot, um, okay. because it is about this girl Danny. This will be nice and confusing because we have Danny talking about <laughs> Danny. Uh, her sister and parents die in the most horrible way. Her sister basically gases herself and her parents and it's awful that's how the movie opens yeah yep and it's implied that her sister was bipolar or had some issues there then a few months later she and her very shitty boyfriend look at that which is just horrible I, I use him as like a litmus test with people. I'm like, okay, like if I talk to somebody about this movie and they're like, I don't know, I think Christian didn't deserve any of that. I'm like we're not talking anymore. You're done. <laughs> Especially if you've watched the director's cut, because he's even worse. And so oh, I'm really, like, no. yeah, we'll, have, we'll have to get, get the done. director's cut. So mm-hmm. her boyfriend basically like horns in on his friend's trip to this village. What's the village called again? Harga. Harga in like Scandinavia. It's in mm-hmm. Sweden or is it just unspecified? It's in, it's in Sweden. Yeah. And therefore their big midsummer celebration. And so Danny and Christian and I'm going to forget their names, Chidi from The Good Place and then uh, one of the Chidi annoying. Is, yeah, his name is Josh. Um, mm-hmm. And then Will Poulter plays Mark. Um, and I still I still think he looks like uh, Butthead from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Every time I see him, I'm just like, oh, my God, it's Butthead. Like, oh, you were um, you were the asshole in that Bandersnatch Black Mirror thing. So, yes. And so they end up in this very like 
kind of, you know, commune, isolated village, and they have very old rituals. And before we get into this, like, can you talk about how this whole movie fits into like the idea of folk horror? Because it's very much drawing on a lot of movies before it to kind of make kind of paganism and folk practices the future of the like those are the basis for the horror yeah i would say um the closest analog is definitely going to be the original wicker man yeah um there's a lot of that there there's you know a lot of uh well in one and then the the remake of wicker man a little bit too because in the remake it's uh a matriarchy whereas in the original it's not so um and in midsummer it does appear that it is sort of a matriarchal society the women are this one woman is definitely in charge um her name is civ and Mm -hmm. she's terrifying she's played by gunnel fred and she is so scary yeah um but uh i would i would definitely say it's like kind of wicker man-esque in that it is an island um that people wear a lot of robes there's a lot of uh the same sort of symbolism that you would see uh with you know like people made out of sticks and um a lot of flowers a lot of woven branches things like that that's all very very reminiscent of the wicker man but it makes sense because it's also stuff that is cultural you know it is also stuff that you would tend to see there so yeah like as a pagan I kind of bristle at that idea like I like it as it works as a movie but like for me also as a pagan the idea that like the paganism itself is what is scary and other kind of it's like okay well we've been you know hunted and burned for a few centuries, a few thousand years. Can oh. we also not be, you know, the villains of this horror of movie? everything? Yeah. yeah. And um, it's like, you know what's scary is Christianity. But oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, like, the exorcist kind of takes care of that, too. Yes, yes, and it so, does. And and the devils. Um, yeah. Ken Russell's The Devils definitely takes care of that one. I haven't heard that one, so. And so, like, that aspect of it, like, as a pagan, it kind of makes me uncomfortable, but as a film viewer... I think it works. I think it works and it bothers me less in this because I feel like Aster is going after the paganism less so and more after the isolationism and the white supremacy and the cultish nature of it. I think he's condemning that because the the more pagan aspects and some of the like matriarchy aspects he really paints in a positive light mm-hmm. like there's a sequence where um danny's having a hard time and they ask her to come cook in the kitchen with them yeah and i remember that making me feel so warm and like oh my god this is like he's showing that there is companionship there's a lot of love here like there these are to each other good people but yeah. that's kind of why <laughs> to, it's so insidious to outsiders not so much and exactly. so, yeah, Danny and Christian and their crew and some other people end up at Harga. Turns out to be that, that this, you know, it's every nine years or so, Midsummer celebration involves a big literal sacrifice. Sacrifice. Um, every 90, they do the big one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so some of the old people in the village who have survived this long, they choose to end their life and jump off a cliff and it's horrifying. Um, yep. And will you find it? So I, th- it might be director's cut, but they go into that all of their elders do that. Yeah. Um, I think that's clear. In no matter age. what. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the register. So yeah. Yeah. That, that's just when you reach a certain age that that's it. You just take yourself out. And that's, um, I don't necessarily agree with it, but if that's part of your culture and it's by choice, yeah, it's your business. Yeah. 
that part yeah. doesn't bother me. Like for whatever reason, the out of stupa scene does not bother me. Um, and I think it's a really interesting look at like how everybody reacts and, and sort yeah. of sets that up for the rest of the tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. That scene is so tense and well done. And for me, like the thing that's really both upsetting and interesting to me about that scene is the older man, he doesn't die immediately on impact. Mm-hmm. And so they have to go like smash his head in with a giant hammer. And that shows that like this beautiful to them ritual has an ugly aspect to it that is also brutal. And I think that's well done. But for Danny, like she actually starts, like you said, bonding with these people and finding sort of a community there. There's one of the, their friend who invited them there. Basically, he's not really hitting on her. He's just saying, have you ever felt like, when's the last time you felt held? Well, I don't trust Pele. Pele oh, you don't is think bad he news. You think he's bad news? Mm-hmm. So here's my thing yeah. with Pele. I think that Pele does want what's good, right for Danny more so than her boyfriend, Christian. I yeah. think Christian obviously is just a self-centered garbage person. He's, yeah, garbage. Um, <laughs> um, but Pele, Pele, he does care about Danny, but he also wants her to be his. Like he very mm-hmm. expressly brought her to this place with the idea of making her his girlfriend at some point like there's a lot of little moments where you see him planting those seeds especially with the way he talks to christian and then talks to danny like it's very manipulative and i was like oh all right you're a wolf in sheep's clothing and that's when i started mistrusting him is when i was like okay all of these harga are scary yeah and it's it's such a tightrope that the movie walks because like on the one hand they're definitely scary they've definitely brought these outsiders in because they are part of the sacrifice they're going to get killed in some sometimes horrifying ways and they're also going to offer but the harga are also going to offer two of their own and then the the, the dead people the two dead people so it's like nine people mm-hmm. overall get right. sacrificed um but like it is like you feel both ways because you're like this is horrifying but also poor danny like again we're we can talk about christian is a horrible boyfriend He's like, doesn't want to be there for Danny, who has suffered an incredible loss. And he's like, oh, my girlfriend's so needy. It's like her sister killed her parents. Well, and like, he's, I mean, he's, he's gaslighting, he's he's gaslighting, gaslighting her from so the much. very first scene, from the yeah. first scene where she's like, I can't get a hold of my sister. And he's like, you can't let her do this to you every time. And you're just, you need to calm down and you're overreacting and all this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I hate him already. Cool. <laughs> and it's really telling that like, when we're in this movie that's examining paganism, his name is Christian. Mm-hmm. Like that's oh, not on accident. That's, that's not on accident. And the way that he treats his his fellow people, pretty much the only person he gets along with in the whole movie is Mark, the other douchey white guy. Yeah. Um, because Christian and Josh uh, Chidi have a huge rivalry. And a big part of that is because Christian constantly just takes from Josh just steals his ideas and overrides him and piggybacks off of his work and and so that's a really interesting thing too like okay you have Christian who is a straight who is a cishet Christian white guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know he's ripping off black folks and treating his you know girlfriend like crap and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and it's just an indictment of that kind of toxic masculinity and behavior Mm -hmm. and like Josh seems to have some interest and respect for the Harga people mm-hmm. and Christian really doesn't. He just sees them as like a resource and he sees Josh as someone he can see because he, Josh was writing his thesis on this and Christian's like, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to 
piggyback and it's, it's such a douche move. It's such a douche move. And that's gone into way deeper in the director's cut, the relationship between Josh and Christian. And there's just more of him stealing from him and more of him. Like there's a whole extended scene in the car where they're talking about why they came on the trip at all. And, um, you know, and Josh is just like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to see this. I can't wait to see that. And then Christian is like, oh, well maybe I'm And then you, that's when the seeds planted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting because Josh knows things that nobody else does. He knows what the out of stupa is before it even happens. And they ask him and he won't tell them. And I remember thinking, you know what? I wouldn't tell them either. They deserve yeah. this at this point because they keep, they're acting like they know what they're talking about and they're stealing, you know, Christians, especially stealing from you. No, let them be shocked. Yeah. And it's definitely the racial aspect of that is not at all lost because he is stealing nope. from his black friend. Not at all. And um, I think it's interesting. I mean, there's definitely something to talk about here with, you know, race and Harga in general. They're definitely racist, um, white supremacist, uh, because there's all this talk about like a suitable people to join them. And the only ones that are suitable are the, you know, Florence very looking ones. (laughs) The Florence Pugh and and, uh, Jack Rayner looking ones. So, hmm. Um, Yeah. But that's a problem. It is. It is. It's it's and it's again, it's a very tricky and complicated thing because they're, you know, murdering people and they're white supremacists. Mm-hmm. But like also as you're watching this movie and Christian continues to be so awful, at a certain point you're like rooting, like, no, no, please get Christian oh, next too. You're you're I, like, I was yeah, rooting please. for the Harga the whole movie. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm rooting for yeah. Danny. It's Danny's yeah, story I'm, and I'm rooting for her. <laughs> and whatever happens good for her, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, so people start disappearing, and um, Mark, he he's an interesting character because he's just sort of a jerk, and he, like, pees on the sacred tree. He's like a 4chan troll. He is. Like, he's definitely got a 4chan account. He's, oh, like, you know, absolutely. Yeah, he's one of the commenters in some of our articles. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. And so, and of course, like, again, when he gets sort of how does he, he's he killed first or is Josh killed first? Or we don't really find out for a so, while. So um, the first, so first are Connie and Simon. They're the, yeah, the two other folks that were brought in by Pele's brother. Um, yeah. And they came from the UK and they're both people of color. They go first um, mm-hmm. because they try to leave after the Atastupa. Yeah, and they're, they're like, like this, this is messed we're up. Out. They're like, we're out. They're like, and, of course we'll uh, give you a ride into town. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then they they trick them and they're like, oh, well, so-and-so will give you a ride. And they separate them and they disappear. And we're like, maybe they got back to town. No, they didn't. No, they did not. Um, so after them, yeah, Mark is next. Mark just disappears. And then Josh disappears when he goes to steal the book. Um, yeah. He goes to steal the sacred book out of the sort of barn temple yeah um and that's when they catch him and kill him and he disappears right after that so the book is interesting and like they really don't i mean how do you think of the way that this movie kind of goes into like ableism i think this is the one thing in the movie i don't like (laughs) yeah because the book is written by like it is developmentally disabled Mm -hmm. individual who you know whether or not they they see them as like connecting with some higher power or something is just you know scrawls and how what do you think about the way they treat that character because it is like it's again tricky it's tricky and it that is the one thing in the movie that really bothered me that I was like I don't this doesn't sit right like everything mm-hmm. else I was like that you're making a clear point here mm-hmm. um you know you're you're making a stand against things you should be making a stand against you know whether it is 
you know, a bad relationship and gaslighting and um, that sort of just awfulness that Christian is doing or whether it's, you know, Josh stealing from people yeah, or he whether- he's stealing from this indigenous He's stealing culture, their yeah. sacred book. Yeah, he's it's not respectful. <laughs> it's very American of him. He's like, oh, I will use this for my research. <laughs> Exactly. Um, you know, Mark has no respect for anything. So like those, it's like he's, he's making clear points. And then there's this character, uh, Ruben. Ruben mm-hmm. is the um, developmentally disabled. And the thing is, is if Aster hadn't gone and done that previously with Hereditary, like because um, the the little girl, Charlie and Hereditary has some deformities. Yeah. Um, I feel like you're starting to kind of do a trend where you're like, deformities are scary. And I'm like, yeah. that's not okay, Ariaster. Um, that's scary and magical disabled people. But don't what, do that. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, because when you look at the mythology, and they don't really go into like specific Nordic or Norse mythology here, but when you look at Norse and Celtic mythology, there was an idea that people who were not complete physically. Um, on this plane were somehow connected more to the other world. And so like right. you see that in like the myth of like Nuada who loses his arm, but that gives him access to like more magic or Odin loses an eye and he can see into the other world and gets the rune. So there is like a precedent for that in the mythology. Like those who are physically different are right. less powerful on earth, but they're more powerful in relation to the other world. So I think that works with this character, but I don't like the pattern you're explaining in Aster's Right, films. I don't like the And it's a bigger trope kind of, that's a problem. The big trope and the pattern are kind of my issue. Um, I do, yeah, exactly. Like you said, like it does play into that. And um, they also do mention that the reason that Ruben exists is because they specifically bring people from outside into Harga um yeah. to you know, into the harga to reproduce but <laughs> got some inbreeding the, um, going on <laughs> but that reuben is the intentional he's intentionally inbred and that they keep doing that and i'm like even that reminds me of the, the x-files episode home where mm-hmm. that one the x-files that was you know not aired that one's yeah it's a yikes <laughs> it's a big yikes yeah yeah it's uh not great um but yeah. yeah so he's intentionally inbred like intentionally doing that so that they can have their next seer um and he's basically just scribbling with um you know Crayon, crayons, crayons in a book yeah, yeah. and so uh, but josh steals that book which is not cool mm-hmm. and so he, gets, well, he tries to he gets yeah. he gets clubbed real quick <laughs> yeah with, and i think he gets clubbed with like somebody like wearing mark's skin is that mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that yeah. is correct. Super yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's wearing Mark's skin um, because then you see Mark again at the very, very end when they um, they do this big effigy and they burn all of them. Um, they've completely stuffed Mark like a scarecrow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. They skinned him first. Yeah. So they had that laying around. Fine. Might as well use it twice. <laughs> and all of this is foreshadowed a lot, like in the games that children are playing in Harga, like they're playing a game called like Flay the Fool and Mark is mm-hmm. the fool and he gets Mark's the fool. flayed. Um, well, in the that. opening shot of the movie, the opening shot is this big, beautiful mural, and it's the whole movie. It's yeah. every single thing that happens in the movie on this Spoiler mural. Spoiler alert, this whole movie is right here. Yeah. Um, but I think it's beautifully done, and I love, like, the production design and aesthetic of this movie is beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. And it's so well done. Um, so, but, like, as things are going on, Danny's really connecting with these people, and she finds out, like... Uh, what, it, what the scene that's most powerful for me is like this, I guess I can call it like the screaming scene 
mm-hmm. with Danny and these other women. That's sort of like prompted because she sees Christian he becomes part of this ritual to impregnate one of the Harga girls and they sort of try and put a love spell on him and it's it's pretty gross and rapey for him in yeah uh, in the yeah. in the theatrical cut I will say that's hugely different in the director's cut how is which, it different in the director's cut so in the director's cut he actually they come to him and they say we want you to be part of a sex and fertility ritual and he's like well my girlfriend's here I don't know about that and they're like no no no, it'll be great for your research because you'll have firsthand experience of this ritual and you know and, and it's cool like we'll raise the baby we'll never contact you blah 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 blah, blah. and he's like okay yeah I'll do it and so it's way less rapey in the in the director's cut. Interesting. Fully, he fully consents to begin with, and yes, there's a big conversation there about you know removal of consent afterwards. He is and definitely that kind of thing, chemically he is, altered at that point because he is not into it uh, yeah. later. But um, I, I would say it is definitely less rapey because there's that he gives full consent to begin with to be a part of the ritual, and that not being in the theatrical cut makes you feel a little more sorry for him. Whereas in the director's cut, I'm just like, nope, burn that bear, let's go. Because yeah. he's sort of like flirting with the gal mm-hmm. earlier, and he obviously is like gonna break up with Danny at some point. Like he's just oh absolutely a shitty. He's just boyfriend. waiting. We can't ex- emphasize enough how shitty this guy is. He, we really can't. He's just I'm a like, garbage person, and, and like, it's so hard because Jack Rayner is so good looking. Yeah. And- <laughs> kudos to jack rayner because like it is hard to you know play that kind of role and it's like a literally a thankless role because you're going in there like everyone's Mm -hmm. gonna leave this this movie hating me like right now you know falcon and the winter soldier is going and i think like wyatt russell is having that same experience playing john walker on falcon the winter soldier because we all hate him so much but he's doing a good job at playing someone we hate so much which is hard to do well, or Jack Gleason like, uh, on, on Jack Gleason. I was just about to say yeah. Jack Gleason. I was like, poor Joffrey had to retire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people are like yelling at him in the street, like, fuck you, Joffrey. It's like, he's an actor. He's doing his job if you hate him. And he was hired as a kid. Come oh, on. Poor kid. Oh, poor kid. But Jack Rayner, the cool thing, the best thing about him with this movie um, is he actually originally had a no nudity thing in his contract. Uh, no nudity clause he really just did not want to do on-screen nudity wasn't into it um and he and Aster were talking about you know the scene where he goes in to do this this big sex ritual and Rainer actually I, I don't know if it's in the script or not that he's new but apparently Rainer was the one who was like I have to be naked he goes this is like every single horror movie rape scene that's ever existed for all these years but it's always been against women it's my turn to to put something out there and to be on display and to be vulnerable and I was like I, re- I respect there, that Jack. good for yeah. you buddy like that's awesome so and and he looks terrified when he's standing there buck naked his eyes like I'm just like you poor baby I hate you as a character yeah. but I still feel bad for you yeah and like that's what like this movie makes you feel complicated things and so Danny, you know, she sees him doing this and she kind of gets taken in by the women of Harga and she's hyperventilating and this whole, the whole movie, she's been just like holding in her panic attacks Mm -hmm. and trying to just like keep the, keep it together. Um, And they let her let it out and they kind of do this group breathing and this group screaming and it is so cathartic just watching it and it's such a moment of catharsis for her and you know like from that moment like she is all in because they're the first people she's probably met in her life who are letting her who are validating her exactly she feels held 
yeah exactly and I, I do love that she feels settled by the women, by this kind of matriarchal mm-hmm. society. Absolutely. That's, that's what really stuck out to me, too. Yeah. That's what stuck out to me, too. Go ahead. Is this before or after the dancing May Queen stuff? That's, that is, um, so the May Queen stuff happens and then they take Christian, so they go, they take her away to plant everything in the ground. Oh, yeah. And while she's away doing her May Queen celebrations, basically, um, that's when they take Christian away. And and that's so she discovers him just afterwards. In fact, I think she even throws her crown off on her way to the barn. She's like, what is that? And they're like, that's not for us. And she's like, no, 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 what is that? Um, Yeah. As like a, you know, a pedantic nerd that I am, I always come like, why is it called Midsommar? But then it's all May stuff. Like they're missing, they're like, Midsummer is in June. You're mm-hmm. you're you're smushing together Beltane, Beltane, yeah, and which is not really a Nordic thing. Beltane is nope. Celtic, um, and for are you listening or Beltane, as it is apparently correctly pronounced. So they are definitely mushing together a lot of like different, you know, ideas of pagan rituals, and mm-hmm. of course, you know. Hollywood always wants to go to like the sex rituals and all that fun stuff. And that, why do they never go for like just like we have a whole holiday about bread? Where is where yeah. is our where is our Lunasan movie? It's just bread. Seriously, it's 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 our bread holiday. You know, like, it's, it's great. A, it's a great holiday. It's just me bread. <laughs> you know, it's pretty much all Sawin and and no, it's pretty much just all Sawin. Sawin and Beltane mm-hmm. and you know Midsummer are always going mushed together. Because, I mean, when you think of the Wheel of the Year, it's like two different calendars mushed together. Like, we're going to have eight holidays. Because why not? Because why not? Honest, honestly, why not? It's great. Every six weeks. Have new holiday. Have new reason the to holidays. eat something. Great. And exactly. then full, full moons and new moons. And I, I love interacting with the Wheel of the Year as a pagan. It's like one of my favorite aspects. Because it does make you feel so connected to the rhythms of the earth. And just, you know noticing like ah the hawthorn is blooming that means it's really close to beltane Mm -hmm. or you know for me for me like the seasons really start on the big sabbaths like for me i feel like summer truly starts on may 1st and that's why it's called that's why the solstice is called midsummer midsummer exactly because because it is even though it is technically the first day of meteorological summer yep you know European people kind of felt summer started on May 1st and that's why you had built in like let's all have bonfires and get it on because it's finally warm enough to be naked (laughs) it's finally warm enough to be naked and this way we'll be having our babies right when there's a harvest and let's go perfect like it's and it's but being part of that just like it makes you feel so close to the seasons and Mm -hmm. for me like one of my favorite sabbaths is in because I love just in like that feeling on beginning of February that like there's hope of spring like I'm starting Mm -hmm. to see the very first shoots coming up and January is always just so so dark and long so I love this and so I do love that this movie taps into that even though they are smushing two different holidays together and calling their May Queen (laughs) they have their May Queen in June it's like whatever (laughs) she looks really cool yeah she looks really cool. She has a giant flower dress. She looks like a Pokemon. It's great. Um, yeah. And two, I think that there's a lot of little 
there's a lot of little things that they got right with the pagan stuff, like them burying, you know, the sacrifice, the piece of meat and the, the millet and the, yeah. um, you know, and all in the milk and she buries it. And that's so that they get a return on that from the gods. Like all of that rang so true. Mm-hmm. All of that was stuff that where I was watching and I was like, this feels authentic, even though I know it's like, you know, combined from different things. It's clear that there was some attention paid to, you know, to research here. Yeah. And it's interesting because like paganism and like persisted much longer in Scandinavia than it did in other parts of Europe. Like Mm -hmm. there are still people who are, who are actively practicing paganism there. And it's pretty much some, some, for some people, an unbroken tradition. So that's really Mm -hmm. cool. It was a very late to Christianization and the folk practices are also very pagan so stuck around yeah <laughs> and so like i think that's really cool that they're tapping into that and i love the way that they actually use the setting of midsummer where it doesn't get dark yeah this it movie, doesn't get like, dark the horror comes from the exposure in this movie. exactly yeah i think it gets dark for like three hours a night yeah it's um, crazy it's it's wild because yeah there's a part in the very beginning where danny goes and she um she drinks mushroom yeah. mushroom there's tea. a lot of, of, a lot of psychedelics this, yeah, yeah. Um, and she goes and she drinks mushroom tea and she has a really bad panic attack and she runs off into the woods and she passes out and she comes to and it's still daylight and she's like is it tomorrow <laughs> and everybody's yeah. like yeah and it's like you- oh my god that's big be so disorienting just the just the daytime thing would be disorienting and then you have the fact that you're in this culture you don't ha- know anything about in the middle of nowhere hours and hours away from safety and on top of that, they keep giving you psychedelics. Yeah, they keep getting you high. <laughs> it's a very like, especially like that time where it is, there's no night. Uh, it's a very liminal time because it kind of, you know, detaches you from your circadian rhythms. It's really powerful. Like that's why people have recognized these days since, you know, the dawn of humankind. So like that works really well. And, you know, the exposure being exposed is like you talked about Jack Rayner, like he has this, you know, scene where he impregnates this girl and it's really interesting like if it was you know less creepy it would have kind of been a beautiful thing with like these mm-hmm. all these older all the women, women like supporting this girl like that's kind of nice and I, I've heard people say like oh this is such a weird scene I'm like no it's like these my my theater freaked out during that scene because it was so like my whole theater was so tense they're like oh my god what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and that scene happens and everybody's just kind of awkward and I was in um I was in a very conservative part of the South when I saw <laughs> oh, no. this. Um, and so we're all just sitting there tense as anything. And I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, what's going to happen? And the part where the oldest the oldest woman on the end, she comes up and she grabs his butt pushing and starts butt. helping him, starts pushing his butt. My entire theater started laughing so hard. And I was like, okay, okay, we're all human. This is good. We're good. <laughs> and then everything goes downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I do. That's like, your last moment of laughter. Yeah, I do like that. You know, they have these. You show like older women supporting a n- younger woman, being comfortable in their naked bodies. Mm-hmm. But then you oh, have. Oh, it's beautiful. Her mother's yeah. holding her. That's the cool. Yeah. Like she, her mother's holding her and starts singing to her, <laughs> and scares the crap out of uh, Christian. Yeah, yeah, and it's like again, it's a really makes you feel all sorts of complicated things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very well well done. Good job, do- good job, Ariaster. You're you're good at this whole thing. <laughs> you made me think. <laughs> you made yeah. You made me feel all sorts of things at the same time. What what? I can't just watch explosions and not think at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is you know there's a place in all of our 
cultural diets for watching explosions and not thinking you need both yeah you need junk you need you You need your junk food food and you need your vegetables like that's yeah this is like a parsnip it's like a kind of it's kind of in the middle a complicated it's sweet but also savory and it's got you know some Mm -hmm. fibrous parts i really like parsnips by the way now i'm very hungry um (laughs) but he goes after this he that's when jack's or not jack christian figures out everything goes wrong and he does it while he's stark naked and mm-hmm. it is again like he is exposed he is naked in the sunlight and it's about like he is exposed as a person like he's not you know looking good as like a nice human being at this point and then like it's just escalating just horror and he discovers one of the first two people to uh, who disappeared in this like mm-hmm. horrifying state where they're just like Simon. She yeah. finds he finds Simon in the chicken coop, and Simon has been blood eagled, which is an old Viking thing that they did. Oh, it is so, so like it took that's one of the things where I had to like pause and like take a moment, like okay, get that image out of my because it's oh, such it's a brutal. It's terrifying, and he's still alive, and you can like see his lungs. Now like, that yeah. so that I actually um he's he there's no way he would still be. <laughs> Yeah, I like <laughs> so it, it's I think it's the psychedelics because there's oh. other things that you see breathing. Um, there's when Danny is sitting at the head of the table with her big May, uh-huh. May Queen crown on, the flowers are breathing. So yeah. there's a lot of things that breathe that shouldn't be breathing. So that's my theory is that that's sort of all part of that whole everything is breathing because, because of the psychedelics. And everything is part of the earth and it's going mm-hmm. back to the earth. That's part of the sacrifice and this whole ritual. And so right. that's cool. And like, they do like a lot of subtle, subtle special effects in this Mm -hmm. movie. Like we can go back to, like, this was really big on Tumblr and Twitter on one of the, I think after Danny has become the May Queen, like you see her sister's face. Her sister's face in the woods. In the the woods. And it's like with the uh, tube in her mouth that she Mm -hmm. used to, and it's like, it's so creepy, but it's so subtle. And like the film doesn't like point it out to you. Like you have to know it's there to look for it, which is really you know, hard, I think, for some directors to do because they want to, you know, as a creator, you want to be like, look at this thing I did. Isn't it cool? Yeah. Midsummer yeah. is one of my favorite movies just because every time I watch it, I see something new. Yeah. Um, I've seen it like six or seven times at least now. Um, I've seen the director's cut a couple twi- times and seen, you know, the theatrical a couple times. Every time I watch it, I get something else out of it. And every single time I find something else where I'm like, Ari Aster, you put that there. How did you? Cool. Yeah. Good. All right, I'm gonna find more then. It's it's so layered. It's you know, like I just like talking about this. I'm like, this really is a good movie. It is. <laughs> Even though I'm just like, eh, pagan horror. I'm like, no, this is a good movie. And so it's really it has a lot to say. Yeah, it, it has does. a lot to say and it's complicated. Like yeah. you know, like we've been saying, it's something that is going to make you think. It's gonna make you think about patriarchies and matriarchies. It's going to make you think about paganism and Christianity. It's gonna make you think about bad relationships. It's gonna make you think about um, you know, the the sort of white um uh manifest destiny like the the taking over of things like it's going to make you think about all of these things and you're not gonna be sure how you feel about some of them like like just as it takes a really in control director not to like point out at all their tricks like it takes a lot of restraint not for the director writer not to say here's how you should be feeling here's they just ask the questions he doesn't really give you the answers and that takes a lot of restraint and I think that's really, you know, kudos to him again. So, yeah. And then, yeah, after 
Christian, you know, discovers all this. He ends up uh, drugged and paralyzed. And Danny is in her Pokemon thing. She's in the, she, and she gets to decide whether he lives or dies, basically. Yup. And at that point, I think everyone watching is like rooting for like, get him, Danny. <laughs> like, well, and especially because yeah. the other the other sacrifice is just some guy from the village. And you're just like, you're like, oh. he has it. maybe he's okay. I mean, yeah, he's a racist cult member, but like, he's not going to hurt anybody. He lives here. So let's kill Christian. <laughs> yeah. He gets like sewn up inside a bear. So great. It's so gross. <laughs> so gross. And like they put him in with all the other uh sacrifices and mm-hmm. two of these guys you know they and they and that's another you know crunchy interesting scene where they give these guys something like you will feel no fear and no pain chew on the bark of the yew tree mm-hmm. yeah. and you they very much feel fear and pain at the end you hear oh the yeah they scream and they well and the one is um pele's brother and oh, yeah. he ch- he chooses to be sacrificed because he was in love with the other girl that they killed oh that he so brought that there the from the uk cut? yeah it, that's all yeah. just hinted at in okay. bits and pieces in both in both cuts it's in the director's cut more it's kind of confirmed mm-hmm. um but in the theatrical cut like when he introduces them he's like this is um you know mark and connie and like there's little hints like that he has a thing for connie and even pele i think says at one point to christian like oh yeah i'm surprised he brought mark because or not mark uh simon i'm surprised he brought simon because you know he's been wanting to get with connie like it's like a one-off line mm-hmm. but then at the end after connie and and simon are both dead then pele's brother's like oh i'll be the sacrifice and i was like oh okay this is another tie into that whole like oh i have to be with this person or i can't die or i have to die thing which i see with pele too like Mm -hmm. he very much wants danny to be his mate queen Mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's again so complicated and as these people are dying and screaming like the community is suffering and screaming with them and then when it ends they're like yay party and then danny has this like the final moment is her this brilliant smile she's finally held she's finally happy and you know and like i I joked like you know this is a movie about a a girl finally like dumping her really shitty boyfriend (laughs) and finding a nice community to be part of (laughs) and like yeah it is not played as you know oh as I mean it's horrifying in one way but also empowering in another way and it's on the line of like Ariaster isn't telling you which one it is it's both it's both it's absolutely both like I wrote this big piece about this movie and how this movie made me feel this incredible catharsis because I had been in a bad relationship like that and (laughs) I had actually been kind of held captive in this relationship and it was this whole thing I wrote this big piece and all these people replied with you know like you shouldn't feel good about this movie what is wrong with you Danny's evil this and that and this and that and I was like y'all are Christians that's why you don't like this like not Christians as in you know Jesus buddies but as in the character like you are as in the boy Christian, like y'all are just Christians and you're mad. That's what this is. And there's been all this stuff going around, you know, people are like, oh, is Danny actually a villain? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, you missed the entire point of this movie. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, yes, I will like, no, it's not great that they are a white supremacist cult that kills people. That is bad. (laughs) That's what goes without saying. However, she finally feels held and it's by other women. And yeah. she she finally feels at home in that culture. And there are good parts of that culture. Like yeah. you can't just throw everything out. And, and I it, think that's what makes it so interesting. Mm-hmm. And like to relate it to like paganism, like 
she is helped by this ritual. It is about like the power of ritual, like the power of tapping into those natural rhythms and like, and the power of, you know, a community of women in some places. Like, well, I think there's a, there's the, a place for the dance. Too. Yeah, the dance. The dance is, like, scene, beautiful. like that ritual, she, where she's like, am I, are we speaking? Like, she's just babbling and she's like, are we speaking Swedish? Do I understand you? And they're like, they're speaking back and forth to each other in Swedish, but mm-hmm. she doesn't speak Swedish. And I thought that was a really interesting thing too. Like she feels so at home and so comfortable that she feels like they're already communicating on the same wavelength. Yeah. And she feels like that ritual is like, it's a, it's an ordeal for her. It's a ritual of ordeal. And the fact that she's able to be strong and endure and keep dancing for however long, like that's a big win for her, like to show that she can do that. And like, she has her- so much joy. Like yeah. she seems so happy in that dance. Like, yes, it's an ordeal, but she's laughing and she's, like that's probably my favorite part in the whole movie just because I'm like you deserve this you deserve to be happy and to be the center of attention and just all this wonderfulness for five minutes before things go wrong and like in another movie like there would be some sort of like mean girl Harga who doesn't want the competition like that would like that'd be such an easy trope to do and she's like the community's like no we support you like this is great you you won you're the May queen congratulations and it's like yeah. that's like and she's never experienced that before especially with christian she's like oh wow it's like what's this is what it feels like to be supportive yeah i wish yeah. she had found supportive people like not in the white supremacist murder cult but you know yeah. can't but choose hey. her friends no yeah. <laughs> especially when you get dragged there and then you yeah. know you're in the middle of nowhere yeah. um it, yeah exactly there's there's a movie um frontiers it's a french horror movie that i recently uh re-watched and it's similarly there's a white supremacist cult it's actually a neo-nazi little cult it's like i call it french chainsaw massacre because that's basically what it is it's a family mm-hmm. of neo-nazis um and in the end the girl ends up being saved by one of the other women that was in the family and that made me feel the same sort of thing like you can be from completely different worlds. You can have completely different ideologies, but like when you relate to one another on just that base human level, you can find a way to, to, to make things work and to survive together. Cause we're all just humans. Yeah. Like we have to figure that out. Um, you know, I'm not saying befriend Nazis, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's recognizing humanity in everyone. It recognizes that there is humanity in yeah. everybody and that even the worst people are still people. <laughs> they're still people. And and sometimes they're not sometimes they mm-hmm. haven't chosen to be a part of that. Sometimes they're yeah. captives themselves. And that's a that's the other thing, you know. So many people, you know, with women, why didn't she leave? You know, if he was being abusive, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Cause she couldn't. Yeah. So sometimes there are people in these, you know, communities, these cults, things like that, that they could not leave. They're there yeah. because they have no other option. And so they are still human and we have to still treat them that way. Yeah. Well, like the people of Harka in this movie, like they're continuing on this like centuries of tradition that they've been indoctrinated to. And so like individually, most of them seem like pretty nice people, but mm-hmm. collectively they're part of this like white supremacist cult. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's wild. I mean, if they're so isolated too, that it's like, they're not going out and attacking people. So that's yeah. nice, at least like, yeah. it's, it's so complicated. And like, you know, the people they're luring in, like, at least, you know, Mark and Christian, you're like, yeah, good, good work, Pele. You got some real winners mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, it's so complicated. It's such an interesting, so like, how, since you've seen more Ari Aster work than I have, like, how does this, like, play into, like, bigger themes in his work? Because I know that Hereditary, again, I movie I have not seen. 
but it does also play into some like other like this is playing on like the folk horror wicker man tropes and hereditary was kind of playing on like the satanic cult tropes Mm -hmm. like his work definitely seems to be like unpacking those larger tropes in horror and seeing what they can mean on a deeper level which is really interesting yeah I think he he really enjoys unpacking those tropes and I think Astor's greatest strength is digging into like like you said what makes us uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and in a way that is so deeply primal (laughs) um that he uses a lot of long shots he uses a lot of um you know with without breaks lots of like that long shot down the hallway is just yeah killer and then in hereditary the shot after um the little girl dies and that's just the focused on her brother who killed her you know accidentally yeah. his, his face and i think aster sits with human emotion and he forces us to stare at it and that's that's his big theme to me is is forcing us to stare at the really really ugly uncomfortable parts of human emotion yeah and just being a human on this planet it's mm-hmm. ugly and hard and like midsummer is just like look at it in the brightest light of day and you don't get any re- relief from the brightness and looking at it. Exactly. And Hereditary is a very dark movie. It's very mostly dark. nighttime. Um, mostly <laughs> at nighttime in this big, dark, spooky house. Um, so it's very different. And and I feel oh. like the, I feel like they have different pacings too. I feel like Hereditary is very slow and then it just goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Midsummer kind of, you have these little moments mm-hmm. that sprinkle throughout it that kind of like, keep your interest and keep that up like the the rhythm of midsummer is like very like ritualized almost like Mm -hmm. the whole movie like kind of feels like the ritual like it's got a very deliberate rhythm to it like like you said accented by moments of sacrifice or horror so it's really well done do you know what he's working on now like what is next i need to i need to look into that i'm not sure because i don't know what you know it'd be interesting to see his take on like you know virus horror after the year we've oh all God. been through. that would be you know brutal but it would be interesting you brutal. know brutal yeah. i would love to see him take on so many things and i think that it's just gonna sort of be what speaks to him um because he wrote midsummer because he had a bad breakup so it is just like it's a terrible breakup movie (laughs) he had a bad breakup and wrote midsummer and i'm like that's amazing um you know and hereditary is so deeply about grief um Mm -hmm. so i think both movies are about grief in their own way um and 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 so i think i think he probably is going to stick with that because he's so good at it but i'm curious to see what aspect of grief he takes on next and whether it's you know collective grief which is what we're going through right now um or whether it is going to continue to be more individualized yeah it would be really interesting to see what he does next i will probably like wait for other people to see it and they can tell me mm-hmm. if it will be too scary for me i will i will i'll see it yeah. in theaters You'll like see, day one like yeah then like text me like okay it's fine you know i'll no, text no. you and i'll be like you're, you're okay you can do no, it. no i'll check the didn't he murdered children um just, yep, yep. Like, does, does the dog die yeah do exactly. the kids die are we good so don't watch a quiet place oh um, no i'm like nope <laughs> that movie like like looks really good I'm like i think it. Gonna, yeah yeah you know clowns and children in danger i went through 
So I had my daughter like five, almost six years ago. And for some reason, like every movie or show I watched for like a month or two after she was born somehow had some child, like even like an infant in distress in some Mm -hmm. way. Like I watched Sense8, which is a great series, but like the second to last episode has like a birth scene where the child dies. And I'm like watching this with like my one month old and I'm like, I cannot handle this I'm going to be upset for three days and not finish this series and so and it's just interesting like how and this is you know we can apply this to Midsommar like you know talking about how like the Christian sort of guys react differently to it or if you're a Christian person you react differently to it we bring so much into movies like everyone's going to look at a movie differently and what somebody loves is going to be the worst movie ever to somebody else and you know a director has to be kind of true to themselves and definitely realize you can't please everyone and some directors I think try to do that and I don't think mm-hmm. Ari Aster is trying to do that he's just oh God, no. posing these questions no Aster's just putting stuff out there it's very he's very much like a Brandon Cronenberg where he's just like here's my vision figure it out um which I love that you know like and different people get different things from every movie like yeah Midsummer, I absolutely love it I know people that hate it and and they're not bad people you know they're not christians that's they just it didn't work for them um you know the first time i talked to people of color about this movie it was they had a different response they're like you know and so it's we have to share how we feel about these things so that we can all understand movies and each other better that's what like Mm -hmm. the best thing about art to me is that that's how we understand one another like get out helped me understand some experiences you know um you know us helped me understand things there's all these different movies and midsummer's one where i'm like all right you want to understand me what it was like to be in an abusive relationship you know etc etc bam go watch this movie like that's the power of art is it puts you in somebody else's head whether it's a movie or a TV show or a book, like they all do it with varying degrees of success, but you are mm-hmm. experiencing another person's, you know, what it's like to be them. And that's like, it gives us empathy. Exactly. And, you know, and sometimes that can make us uncomfortable. You can feel uncomfortable feeling empathy for horrible people. Like, the, you know, you look at Avengers, uh, Infinity War and Endgame, like you feel like Thanos, you're like, you have like he has moments where you're like oh well mm-hmm. I feel kind of bad for the guy who wants to kill half the universe like this yep. is weird but like that means the movie is doing its job because that means it's working art is ultimately about like empathy exactly and that's like I I love the show the boys and the homelander oh God, character he is like possibly the most irredeemable awful jerk on the planet earth but then there's like little sprinklings here and there where i'm like oh my god i actually i empathize with this guy like i hate that you know when you find out how he was abused as a child and all this stuff and you're like oh my god you're making me empathize with this guy why why are you doing this but that's why it's so great he's he's horrible and so like also so so stormfront like the (laughs) like literal (laughs) nazi but like Mm -hmm. at the end of season two spoilers for the boys season two like if you haven't seen the boys season two go watch it a a minute but like she at the end of season two she is like lost like all her limbs she's like her face is destroyed she and she's like muttering in german and it's like you're just like oh ouch like this is it makes you think about like superhero movies like the whole uh, the boys in general is just like if superheroes were real they would be mm-hmm. terrifying mm-hmm. 
and the violence they could inflict is terrifying and so and the power they would have the control i mean like really whoever controlled the superheroes would control the world because it's just like whoever controls the nukes controls the world exactly the same kind of thing these are living nukes and of course they're going to end up being fucked up people because of like putting a a human being in that much power in that situation Mm -hmm. is going to screw them all up yep and so a boys is brilliant yeah. And again, Eric Kripke, my, my dude from Supernatural. Good work. Yes. My, 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 my wonderful son, Jensen Ackles, will be on season three. I'm oh, I'm so, so excited. Like when I'm they so announced excited. when they announced that, like I was on my computer downstairs and I just like gasped so loudly. Like my wife ran downstairs. She's like, are you OK? I'm like, Jensen Ackles is going to be on the boys. <laughs> She's like, yes. OK, honey. Like. <laughs> But so that's going to be really exciting. <laughs> Total tangent off into the boys. But yeah, art is about empathy. You know, yep. I just watched The Descendants with my kid. The Descendants is about empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about empathy. And again, empathy can sometimes make you uncomfortable. Exactly. And but, it should. You yeah. should You should engage with art that makes you uncomfortable. If you're not engaging with art that makes you uncomfortable, then you're not really living. You're just kind of existing. Yeah. Like I'm rewatching, you know, to, to tie in Kripke and horror and my favorite show, Supernatural. Like I'm rewatching all of Supernatural right now, and like all of season two is about like the Sam and Dean learning to like empathize with the monsters mm-hmm. they kill. They're like, wow, these used to be people, or sometimes these are people. Like, yeah. are we doing the right things? Like, how do you define a monster? And you know, it, they end up being friends with like the literal king of hell. Like, they learn mm-hmm. a lot of empathy throughout that show. So it's a theme in a lot of art. <laughs> And again, Love it can make Crowley. you uncomfortable. Oh, Crowley. Love him. Every time I see him in anything, I'm just like, oh, you're here. No, no Mark Shepard. He's a great, he's, he's the best. He was I my sh- badger on Firefly and now he's on Doom Patrol. Just put him in everything. Oh, oh yeah, we can, t- I'm sure you and I could talk like for hours about Doom Patrol too. Like, oh, such a great show with, a, again, a lot of empathy for mm-hmm. people who have been so screwed up by having powers and immortality in that case, so. Plug for all the weird superhero shows. Boys. Yep. I love them. I'll add in Legends of Tomorrow. Umbrella Academy. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's so good. I know. I love it. There's so much TV to watch. (laughs) So much. Well, if you like the boys in Doom Patrol, definitely, definitely check out Umbrella Academy because I feel like the three of them just go together. They're they're buddies. They're each riffing on something slightly different Mm -hmm. about comics. And I'm just like, yes. Have you watched Legends of Tomorrow? Not yet. I'm going to. Okay. That's great. Like you can skip season one. I'll be honest. Like like the Captain Cold's great in season one, but it's otherwise like they're they were trying to kind of be like a normal DC show in season one, and then like and then season it, two they're like they're like wait we can have them fight with dinosaurs. We can have let's make it weird. Let's, and they go and it never goes back and it just gets weirder and weirder and it's great. Perfect. Yeah, uh, I just did a panel yesterday with Jess McCallum from there and. And it's everyone on Legends of Tomorrow is basically some degree of pansexual. Like, yes, it's a, such a queer show. Love it. Like, they're like, oh, we have we have room for like several queer characters, not just one. That's wow. so cool. We don't just have a token queer character. We have we have several. What? Yeah. We have like a gent like a character who's basically like, you know gender non-conforming and pansexual because they're they're a shapeshifter like they literally can be any gender they choose actually that's the dream yeah like mystique's been my hero since i was a little little Mm -hmm. i'm like i just want to be mystique i just want to change into whoever i want to be whenever i want to be so i love that yeah it's a fun show but 
for those looking for your work online and on Twitter, where can we find you? Where can we find your work? Uh, best way to find me is on Twitter at Danny Rat, D-A-N-I-R-A-T. Um, that's pretty much it right now. I'm going to be building back a portfolio site soon, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, right now I'm just posting everything over on there. Awesome. I own, I will confess and like in, I know it's Danny Rat, but in my mind it's Danny Rant. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I rant a lot. Yeah, but it's Danny Rat for people. It following. is Danny Rat. Yes, because um, yeah. I used to have pet rats, and they're fabulous. Awesome. So yeah, from one one Danny to another. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for being on. This is such a cool um, discussion. Hopefully, we'll have you back on to discuss a maybe happier movie. But who Heck knows? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I'll yeah. come on to talk about whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for mm-hmm. having me. Yeah, I do want to talk about. Wicker Man, both the original and the remake, because I actually haven't seen those either. The remake is unintentionally hilarious. I've seen clips of the remake. I've seen like the cinema sins of the remake and just again, I'm like, I'm kind of rooting for this guy to die because he seems like... Everybody in that movie is awful. Everybody in that whole movie is awful. Like, it is a movie of horrible, horrible people and you just kind of want them all to die. So, yeah. um, We'll definitely have you back for, for a Wicker Man double feature sometime soon. There you go. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye.